You are listening to the Doc Doc Goose Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Doc Doc Goose. My name is Sean Palmer. I'm one of your docs. Here's Ben Imes. He's your other doc. Still a physician and a doctor. <laughs> and our goose, Ben or <laughs> sorry. Man, and we our effed goose, it up already Matt and we Imes. just got started. <laughs> <sighs> so our goose is with us. Hi, Matt. <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm fantastic. Where was the quacking? Quack. Thank you. Quack. <laughs> and today is a special day. We have a guest goose with us. We have Miss Ashley Richards. Hello. How are you? Hello. Doing great. How are you guys? Yay. So excited Fantastic. to have a nice goose for once. <laughs> <laughs> two geese, two doctors. Two geese, two doctors. They're going to outnumber us soon. Uh, and take over. So Ashley is with us because she is uh, one of the founders of Desert Mama's blog. Ashley, can you tell us a little bit about Desert Mama's blog, the story of, uh, of that company? Sure, I would love to. Uh, my co-founder, Michelle, and I launched Desert Moms blog last September. And Desert Moms is a resource just for moms. So we felt that there are so many resources out there for kids and for newborns, but we want to be there as a resource for moms through all the stages of motherhood. So that is really our goal is to be there for moms. And we, we do cover the basics of kids. We cover newborn stage, but we want to get into the nitty gritty too. Uh, we talk a lot about being a work mom. Um, we talk about older kids, you know, developing into teenage years. We really just want to focus on all the things that moms need for their entire phasing before those kids move out. And I got to tell you, one of the nice things about, about your guys' blog is that it doesn't actually ask you if you're a mom or a dad. And so I actually read through a lot of your blog and it's fantastic. Um, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's actually really, really good. And there's a lot of good information there. And I think as a as a dad and a husband, it's really good that you've got a lot of good insight for, uh, you know, into the the mom psyche. And so for those of us guys who are just absolutely clueless, like it's a good insight into kind of what our wives are, are experiencing and uh, yeah. a fantastic resource. Well, thank you. Yeah, we have 20 writers here in the Valley and we let them write about anything. And some of the stories and blogs that have come from these women are just incredible. They talk about their successes and their excitement and their their great days of being a mom. And then they talk about rocky days and tough conversations and tough topics. But we want those resources, good or bad, to be available for moms. And these these women who are writing these incredible blogs are doing that. And it's it's been fun to watch it evolve. Um, and we've got a pretty large following now. And it's been exciting to, to really be that resource and go-to place for moms in the Valley, for sure. Good. Yeah, it's I, I want to echo that. It's very real. You guys don't hold back. You just... It's a lot of real talk, and uh, it's it's fantastic. What's what's the um, the website address? It's desertmomsblog.com. Fantastic. Ben, you were just telling me earlier that the the blog that really touched you the most was getting your postpartum body back. Uh, indeed, I'll tell you, you guys. I put on fifty pounds with our first child, and it has <laughs> taken me eight years to get close to my pre-pregnancy weight, and uh, I'm still not there. So I'm working on it. You should write phase two of it, which is how to get your dad bod. Just saying, we'd love to host you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, as soon as I figure that out, uh, I'll definitely let you guys know. So. Man. Yeah, that, that was one of mine. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> ben, I believe you have a disclaimer so nobody holds us responsible for anything we might say on the show. Exactly. Uh, remember that this is an educational podcast and does not establish a physician-patient relationship, a uh, PT-patient relationship, an architect-client-patient relationship, or whatever else it is, and a um, senior marketing CEO, entrepreneur, client uh, relationship. Reader. What? 
reader relationship. Exactly. Uh, Anything you hear on here, take with a grain of salt. We're not that smart. And uh, we're really just trying to provide a little bit of education. And also, anything you hear on here does not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. So, Steward Health, I'm not speaking for you, but you can support us. We take checks. (laughs) Venmo, whatever. Take cash. We do take cash. Take cash. Snickers. Ooh. Yes. So a couple of weeks ago, we uh, started talking to Desert Moms blog and asked them to gather uh, questions from uh, their writers, from uh, their readers, uh, things that they would want to know. Uh, Just have an open forum with us to uh, pick our brains on any such topic. Nothing was, was off the table. And so Ashley's here to, to lead us through these questions. All right. Yeah, it's been fun to um, see what questions come across to have you guys answer. So we're going to start with an easy one. Well, an easy for me to tell you at least. And it's lear- learning a little bit more about you guys. So what is the most challenging part of your job? Can we have Matt answer this one first? No. <laughs> no. Wait, is this is this his job as a goose or as an architect? Architect. Isn't this a medical podcast? No, this is this is for no, you. Children, women, men, animals out there who are thinking about the possibility of working with an architect or being an architect one day. You can inspire a whole generation. Or yeah, or okay. you can stop a whole generation from actually going into architecture right here with your words. I never recommend going into architecture. <laughs> well, start that off. It's um why? Wait, so repeat the question. It was what's the most well, challenging. I got these, these are literally you have two questions and the rest are for the other guys. So oh, good. Good. Don't worry. Well, we, we picked off one of the other questions for him, too. He doesn't know this one yet. <laughs> so what is the most challenging part of your job? It, so for me, the most challenging part is just juggling different projects. And so um, while being an architect, I'm also a business owner and of a small business, an architecture business. And and so with that just comes the day-to-day challenges of uh, dealing with finances, dealing with clients, uh, doing the work myself, getting new work. Um, so as far as what's the most challenging, it's just making sure everything flows and everything keeps going and um, everyone stays happy. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of my answer to that. Do you have anything, Ben? That's the most most challenging. Yeah, I think the most Ben's challenging part of your job really is um, of my job. Yeah, that's the question we're answering, right? Is that no, not yeah, my let's job? Let's keep with architect for a second. Let's stick with architect. Yeah, I would okay. guess I would All guess right. the most challenging part of your job is um, drawing. Uh, and you don't get to draw whatever you want. You have to draw like little squares and boxes and triangles, and it's not as fun. He does a killer stick figure. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Sean? What do you think the most challenging part of Matt's job is? Building things. Ah, he actually doesn't build things. That's the the thing about architects. Okay, drawing things. Is that taken yet? That, that's that I already said that, so uh juggling his time commitments with being an architect and the goose. Ah, good. While staying add, in the country. Oh, Ash, Ashley what probably about, knows more about architecture than we do, so <laughs> what about software updates? That's gotta be a challenge some days. It it is. Yes. Yeah, so software's constantly changing. And so keep you up with that. Codes are constantly changing. So keeping up with the different codes, uh, building techniques are always coming out with new ones. And so, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of just uh, keeping up with current times, I guess, so to speak. And yeah, that can, that can be challenging. 
Dr. Rimes, what do you think is the most challenging part of being a physician? Uh, I think that's a tough one. I because I I'll tell you I love what I do. It's so much fun for me, and when I go to work, I absolutely love it. Um, it, this is probably going to surprise those of you who don't work in medicine. The most challenging part of being a physician is all the paperwork that I have to do. It just sucks the joy right out of me. Um, I love seeing patients. I don't mind if patients come in and yell at me. I get that a lot. Patients yell at me all the time. Patients don't take their medications all the time. They don't listen to me all the time. I don't mind that. For me, it's part of the job. I love it. Uh, Doing paperwork kills me. That's the right way to say that. You need a scribe. Yeah. Uh, there have actually been studies. I Ashley, you're right on on the money there. Studies that show that uh, physicians are often happier when they have scribes. I have a friend that's a physician, and it has changed her life. Yeah, just saying. I believe it. And she found a she found a gal in college, and it's pretty cheap. They'll do anything for money. They, that's right. <laughs> they were they were talking about getting us um, some folks from India that would like. We'd wear like a microphone and then they could hear the whole thing and then they would document everything that we did. Hmm. And, uh, you know, they pay them like two cents an hour. And so <laughs> they were they were going to tell us that it was really affordable and we didn't actually have to do any more work. But uh, that hasn't panned out yet. So here, hmm. here's hoping. What about you, Sean? Uh, I have two things to stick out in my mind. One, and and I'm sure you, you feel like this too, Ben, sometimes is that the the patient that kind of gets in their own way that you're really trying to help them and do everything you can. And they just won't take your advice. They won't listen. They won't do what you say. Um, they won't show up for appointments. They throw up every excuse possible. That's frustrating because we, we really take pride in what we do and try really hard. And you go through all that work of, of the paperwork and all that. And, you know, for, for those of us that really care about what we're doing, we we really want to see that person succeed and then to just see that you put out energy and there's nothing coming back to you. I mean, it's almost like a relationship. Like, you know, you, you give everything on one side. It's, I'm sorry. It's like a bad relationship. You give <laughs> not everything a normal on relationship. one side. Yeah, not, not, <laughs> not, not a healthy one. Not a healthy one. And, and you just get nothing back. Yeah, I, that, that can be so frustrating. And, and you really just feel bad for those patients who just, yeah. they won't take any ownership. And it, it it's, yeah, it's disheartening. And then there's some cases that, that are, you really get to watch kind of in the, in the process of spiraling downward. And at the end of it, this part of you feels, feels horrible for thinking this way, but you look at it and you're like, I know why you got there. Like I, I tried to do what I could back, you know, back when we started, but there's nothing I can do for you now. Sorry. For a little more specific to, to being a physical therapist, there are a lot of misconceptions about physical therapy, about what good treatment looks like. And so having to fight that, uh, not only physicians having a, an improper view of what we do sometimes, um, but patients as well. So just having to fight, just fight that from all, from all angles. People either think that we're glorified personal trainers or we're massage therapists, you know, what have you. Our, 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 our professions progressed so far over the last decade or so, um, you know, from being a bachelor's level to master's to doctorate, and a lot of people just don't catch on to like what education we have along the way. And so there's a lot of, uh, I don't think people mean to, but there's a lot of disrespect that goes with that. Um, you know, even just, just the, the realization that it's a doctor level profession. Like I got, and, and like I said, people don't, I think realize this, but like I got an email just today that uh, was to me and two of the physicians in our group. And this person was a nurse that wrote this mm-hmm. and it said, you know, dear Dr. Blank, Dr. Blank and Sean. <laughs> nice. And Kay. Sean. Thank you. <laughs> so um, it's just, and like I said, I, I know they didn't mean anything by it. They didn't understand that that was actually kind of offensive, but I got the degree. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you put a lot of hard work into it. <laughs> So, so it's just those things that that fighting that daily. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to do everything I can to um, to help turn around perceptions and educate uh, the public. And uh, some days it goes really well, and some days it's frustrating. I have to say, your guys' answers were not what I was expecting um, in a good way. That's not what I would have put on any of your jobs as 
in my eyes on what is being a challenge. Oh man, from, we should have asked Ashley first. On the outside. <laughs> then we could have had answers thinking, that were better. Yeah, sorry, Ashley. <laughs> I was no, I was thinking something like you know diagnosing a terminal child, like the the obvious. I guess. I mean, obviously that is challenging, but I, I was looking more at some of those higher level things that, but you guys deal with so many other things on a day to day. So it's good to see your perspective on things. Right. Not that that's not challenging. Right. And I'll, I mean, I'll tell you, it's awful to tell somebody they have cancer or that their child is not going to live. Right. I mean, that's a horrible thing and nobody ever wants to do that. Uh, the good news, at least for me, I don't, I don't have to do that too often. Um, but yeah, like you said, on a day to day basis, that doesn't suck the soul out of me. It's all the paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Also, also well, that I'm a redhead, I, uh, at least in my beard. I don't have a soul, so, you know, joke's on you, insurance companies. <laughs> well, I feel like we started off the the podcast with a, with a downer question. So let's turn it upside down a little bit, and let's talk about what your most rewarding part of your job is. Maddie. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you went there. <laughs> Uh, the most rewarding thing is obviously for me, well, maybe it's not obvious, but seeing a built project. So seeing something that, that I've worked on actually get built and uh, having the client be happy about the end project. <laughs> not not just that it's built, but yeah, actually not, that there's... Not just having built, but actually having uh, the client happy. Yeah, and, which it, and we've we've seen a couple of things that Matt's done. He really is very good at, at his job. Remember, we well we we went and ate at what restaurant was that downtown when when Ben and I came visit you that one time, and you're like, "Yep, I did this place." No idea. Whatever. <laughs> uh, so some of the finest Dunkin' Donuts in the Valley have been done by exactly. There's yeah, a Dunkin' Matt Donuts right by my house, designed by Matt. It is phenomenal. <laughs> He, he designed my in-laws house, which is still in process being built. That's fantastic. Ben, Am I next? what okay. do you think? Um, you know, I think uh, I bet probably Sean, you're going to say, Dr. Palmer, you're going to say the same thing um, uh, or along the similar lines of like what Matt and I are going to say. So uh, having somebody come back and saying, wow, what you have done has changed my life, has changed what I've done. Um I see a lot of psych patients uh, in my family practice office just because um, psychiatry and psychology is very scarce in Arizona. And so a lot of patients only have access to their family medicine doctors. And so those are some of the most rewarding cases um, for me. And to have somebody come in with severe depression, debilitating uh, symptoms where they're they're stuck in bed all day. They can't do anything. Their life is just awful. Uh, and, you know, you can kind of get them started on some medications. You talk to them, give them some counseling. And uh, I had one patient who came in for her two-week follow-up recently. And the change in her was so drastic. She looked like a completely different person. And that's exactly what she said, too. She's like, wow, the meds that we have me on now, this is the best I've felt in years. I am a completely new person. And just seeing the joy on her face, and uh, it's so rewarding. It's one of the best things ever. Ben, ben touched on, on on one of the answers. Sorry, I'm going to do a two for again. Is getting to see those cases that that do have really good outcomes that you work hard on. The person puts their work into it, and and you just see incredible outcomes. You see that lives changed, and that's um, uh, of course why we get into it. That's that's what we want. The the other fun thing for me is all the different people, different walks of life that you get to meet. And you never really know who's going to walk through the door, um, what conversations you're going to get into. Some of those conversations you regret having a wide open like PT space, but um, <laughs> they're usually pretty entertaining. Um, but I, I've met so many cool, cool people and hearing different stories and just learning about different, one of my favorite stories is always your questions to ask is just, especially like retired individuals is what'd you do for a living? Mm -hmm. Um, and just to hear all these different jobs and, um, you get to talk about struggles and, and stuff through life and you just get to learn a lot from these people. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think Sean, you and I both have that kind of fun aspect to medicine where, 
you develop these relationships and you get to know these people and you start yeah. getting a picture into their life. And it's so much fun. It's so rewarding to kind of hear about them and watch them kind of grow to trust you and, and, uh, and get to share a small portion of their life with you. But I think that's a unique characteristic in medicine today. Um, I think that and from a consumer's eyes, yeah. it's, it's very crowded. These offices are busy. There's a lot less of you and there's a lot more of us. Yeah. And that relationship base, I've switched pediatricians twice because I couldn't find that relationship base that I needed. I wanted to, I wanted my pediatrician to know my kids and know me and really have the same beliefs as me. Um, and that's so important. So the yeah. fact that you both touched on the relationship of the people that you're seeing as being one of the best things about your job really speaks true to both of you because that's very unique, at least from my experience in going to see physicians and, yeah. and you know, having to interact with them and feeling which ones are really passionate about what they do and the ones that are literally just there to get through their line and get back home. Yeah. And that's true. And I think you're going to find that in any profession, Ashley. And I think that's exactly right. But you, you want to find somebody who matches your values and some people, they don't want a, a physician or a PT or an architect who knows them. They just want to go in, get their Z pack, get their uh, you know their fire cupping, uh, get their uh, I don't know what what can you do quickly there, Matt? Their stick figure, and then get out of there. And that's what they want. They want to go back to their busy lives. Yeah. Um, but some people do want that relationship, and you know you got to find it's it, it can be tough to find the right person. You know, it's funny too, because I think it's more, I, I'm way more relational with my kids' physicians than I am with my own. Cause I'm like, I feel good. I'm good to go. But my kids, I worry more about them. So I ask a lot more questions versus right. me. I'm like, oh, we'll get there when we get there, you know? So um, I think, I think the pediatric side of things is really more emotional too, at least from a mom. And to kind of, and to kind of add to that too, like in, in my practice, I set up the, the um our, our physical therapy department right now to to make sure like we have more time with each patient but especially i'm picky about having an hour with the patient on an eval and when i've had students with me before the the biggest part of that is making sure they know how to take a good subjective evaluation so and that's just just being sitting down starting with open-ended questions and then listening listening to the the clues that the patient gives you not just listening to a set of symptoms but figuring out the person mm -hmm. as they go, especially when you're dealing with, you know, like pain. So I'm in a pain clinic. Like that's, that's a, a personal experience to each person and their experience with pain in the past is going to shape what direction you can take treatment. And, and I think that's the most uh, important thing to clue in on is understanding that person, where they're coming from and the things that they're not necessarily saying, or they don't know they're telling you through their story. Um, and then building that rapport with them from the first, uh, from the first appointment or some people, if it's just a flyby, you know, ask the questions they have to say that they, they're not building that rapport. They're not building that relationship where, where the person's giving you those clues that you're otherwise not going to catch. That's awesome. All right, guys, next question. Let's get into a messy one. Literally. Yes. Why is it so hard for kids to learn how to poop on the potty? This is Matt's question. Oh, yes, it is. Matt, <laughs> what do you got? I have no idea. <laughs> Those of you who have been friends with me uh, on Facebook before have seen uh, the great uh, poop episode that occurred while my wife was out of town <laughs> one time. Uh, one of my children, in case they ever listen to this in the future, or, I mean, let's be real, but... Um, uh, I don't want to embarrass them, but one of my children, my wife was out of town and it was me and the kids and my, my child, uh, pooped in their crib and then proceeded to take all the poop and smear it all over themselves, all over the crib, everywhere on the walls. And I was like, Oh, fantastic. So I took the, so I took this child and I picked them up and kind of carried them down to the hall, down the hall to the bathroom. I said, stay in the tub. And then I walked out, like, I didn't turn on the water yet. Like, don't worry about drowning. Uh, I just said, don't move. And I was just like, let me just go make sure the other child is safe. I go out there and the other child goes, I think I'm going to have diarrhea. And then just poops all over the floor. And now I've got poop all over the house. And I'm like, okay, you get down to the bathtub also. So he's 
this child, the other child, is walking down the floor, still having diarrhea, uh, all the way down to the uh, bathtub. And I'm like, my wife's not here. I'm all by myself. My kids are pooping everywhere. There's poop all over the house. I thought about just burning the house down at that point. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. The, the good news is they haven't done that for a couple of days. So uh, we've, we've made it an intermittent thing. They haven't pooped or they haven't pooped around the house? They haven't pooped all over the house in a couple days. Okay. Uh, that could be a problem either think, way. Do you think your wife was secretly um, excited that it happened when you weren't home? I, I, what I think happened is <laughs> my, my wife gave them Miralax before she left. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been able to prove this, but I'm fairly convinced of that. So, yes. Oh, I'm sure she was so glad. Oh, my goodness. Because I told her. I, I called her up later and I was like crying. And I'm like, I'm covered in poop, and I'm just drinking a beer right now, and this is awful. And uh, it, it, was, it was a rough night. Uh, <laughs> um, my wife is glaring at me from the other room. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, kids, I don't really know how to take this question because some every every kid learns to potty train at a different stage in life. And, uh, you know, to, to really mansplain this as much as possible, uh, <laughs> you moms put so much pressure on each other. You're like, uh, you know, little Johnny, he started potty training at an age like 16 months and he poops in the potty every time now. And you're like, my kid's three and a half and he still poops in his diaper. And, and, you know, and so you don't, but you don't share that with each other because you'd be judged. Right. And so, uh, you know, the thing is, is all kids eventually become potty trained. Uh, I don't know any adults that aren't potty trained at this point. And so that's what I always encourage my parents, my parents that come in and see me and they're like, my kid's five and he still has accidents at night. I'm like, Hey, he'll figure it out. Um, about 7% of kids, I think make it up to like age 11 and they're still not potty trained. And then it goes down by about half of that every year. And so eventually, all kids get potty trained. So it's frustrating, especially if you're a part of that population that their kids take a little bit longer. But they'll, they'll get it eventually. I know it sucks. I'm, I have two answers to this, ah, just based two. off experience. Yeah, <laughs> See what I did there? Um, that was inadvertent, but thank you. <laughs> just, just based on our experience with my son. So, so one, especially big poops hurt. Um, mm. so he's, he'd be to the point of crying on the potty. Like, I don't want to, it's going to hurt. So bribery with, uh, M&Ms especially has helped significantly. You should bribe him with prunes. <laughs> and then, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, was it? the other one, especially, so I have, I have a little boy, extremely active, I think this is part of the potty train thing with any boys is they're just too busy to, to be bothered by going to the bathroom. Yeah. It's I'm going to do this while I'm, while I'm doing my thing. So I, I think probably for at least our situation, that's been the two biggest, biggest things. Ashley, do you think that answers the question at all? I do. And I think, um, I like that it was unique too, because I, you're calming a lot of mom's nerves because I think I, there was we got a few potty training questions and I think it's exactly what you guys hit. It's stressful. We want it to be done. We want to be over wiping their butts. We want to be over diapers. And, you know, little Johnny is potty trained and my son's, you know, older than him. Like he should be there. Like right. we put so much pressure on each other. So I agree with that. And I, um, I don't know any adults that poop or pee their pants either. So I think we're in good shape that we're all going to lead in a good direction. Eventually people get there. Yeah. Next question. I'd love to hear a physical therapist talk about youth sports impact on kids' bodies and where concussion protocol is headed in terms of policies in youth sports and a preventative equipment. Oh, buckle up. Wow. <laughs> Hold on. Hey, those of you who are not sitting down, Sit down now. Sean's about to go on a rampage. This could be dangerous. Oh, there are so many directions to this question. I don't even know where to begin. This could easily fill up multiple episodes. Um, <clears throat> okay, let's try and narrow this down a little bit. I'm going to break this, this question apart. Um, impact on kids' bodies. Uh, activity, uh, physical fitness is a good thing. Let, let's start there. 
Um, competition, great thing. Kids, kids learn good stuff from that. What we as parents have done to it is horrible. We push kids to uh, be overly competitive. We push kids to specialize and um, be so good at one sport way too early. We try to make them bigger, faster, stronger as early as possible. Uh, We all think that our kids are going to be the next um, star in whatever sport. That is just horrible. So, so, there, there's a surgeon in, in the U.S. His name is uh, Dr. James Andrews. He's one of the leading orthopedic specialists in the world. Um, in I think it's Birmingham, Alabama. They have the Andrews Institute of Sports Medicine, um, which is his, his practice. And uh, there's a huge research wing to it. Um, he is an orthopedic surgeon, makes his money off of doing surgeries. He wrote a book a few years ago that he basically said, look, this is my livelihood doing surgeries and I don't want to do another surgery on an adolescent. I am so sick of the, the injuries that we're seeing that we should not see. Um, so a couple of things that, that he pointed out was one, we're, we're making kids specialize in sports too soon. So, um, you know, little Johnny likes baseball at age eight and man, he gets some really good hits and we think he could just be the next star. And so it's baseball, baseball, baseball all year round goes from, from school league to city league to uh, club to, and it's all year round and he may enjoy it for, for a time. And that's great, but his body is going to break down. Uh, our, our bodies were not meant to do the same motion like that over and over and over while it's developing. So for, for youth, probably up until between 16 and 18, you need to be rotating sports. Um, you need to be rotating activities. Uh, so sports that are completely different. So if it's a baseball player, they need to have at least three months of the year, if not more, where they're doing something else completely that, that does not involve upper, upper extremities. Um, so it's whether it's soccer or you do low impact stuff like swimming, um, just some that trains completely different muscle groups in different ways, even then having a period of having them off for at least a month. Uh, in a year that is huge for, for the developing child. Like we like to treat, uh, children like they're little adults and they're not little adults. Their bodies are going through drastic changes. Um, their bodies are not going to handle stress like the rest of ours do, but we push them more and more to respond like our bodies would. Uh, and it's, it is doing a lot of detriment. So like youth sport um, injuries have been on the rise for the last several years at alarming rates. Um, I don't have to say the specific statistics up in front of me, but it, like if, if I recited them to you, you'd just be shocked and they're injuries that just should not exist. So there's the wear and tear on bodies issue. Get your kids involved in several different sports. Even if they don't love the other sports, hey, let them take the time off to, to just go swim during the summer or something like that if they're in, involved in other sports. Um, and it's okay, just have a couple months completely off. Doing that when a kid is eight years old is not going to keep them out of being the star athlete that signs the $430 million contract uh, later in life. Don't worry. Concussion protocol. Wait, I uh, have a quick I'm, question, Sean. Do yes. football helmets prevent concussions? <laughs> no oh what what did you say no Here, no because well let, let's um let, let's let's even have a fun question ben might know the, the answer to this so i'm going to ask ashley and and matt you can do it too this is a goose question oh a double goose question what sport has the most concussions soccer wow you both got it Specifically, you guys are too smart women's for our soccer. We were synchronized, also. Yeah, that was really. I good. know. That was amazing. Yeah. Women's soccer, dude. Women's soccer is dangerous. There's a lot of um, things that get hurt in women's soccer. Wi- women are dangerous. So <laughs> add, a, add, a, add a ball to it. That's crazy. Why do you wait? Why do you say women's soccer, not just soccer in general? Be- because that's what the statistics say. Uh, exactly. Um, specifically women's soccer. And they, and uh, part of the theory uh, of that is that, that 
um, neck musculature isn't quite as strong. So the head will get jarred more. So the brain does more movement. Soccer in general, you not only get concussions from, from heading the ball or taking a really hard shot off the noggin, um, but also collisions, he- uh, head-on collisions when going up for a header. Um, it- it's just alarming, right? So everyone, you know, the media right now loves to harp on the dangers of football. Football is down on the list of, of biggest concussions. There are other sports between between soccer and football. Going to like preventing that and like what what equipment there is. Several years ago, there there were these padded headbands that uh, were designed for soccer, and the, the testing of them were actually pretty good. They, they brought down concussions quite significantly. Really, I don't I don't believe that. Is that for reals? Yeah, I'll send you the article on it. Uh, I'll have to look up exactly which which companies was it tested as good. They're they're dorky looking things. No one's going to go out there and wear it. That's why they never caught on. Um, so it's basically you know you, you take a headband. It's like this big all the way across, and it's padded. Well, a yeah, it, it doesn't look the best. And unless you get full teams and leagues out there wearing it, no one off person is probably going to go out there and do it, right? Except if you have the parent that has their kid in a bubble and they're going to give them this headband and send them out there on the uh, on the on the field. But also, when you're playing a game like soccer, you're running constantly, so you have to be able to dissipate this heat that your body's building up. And you have a band around your head, you're going to be keeping some of that heat in. So then you're looking at heat related issues. Um, so just ended up not being that great of a, a, a of an idea. Um, like I said, it brought concussion rates down um, in in testing, but uh, it, it just never caught on. For like football helmets, um, they're always trying to come up with new new technologies that are going to decrease uh, concussions. That there are a lot of ideas out there uh, that they're just still under testing, and whenever some new little design change comes out that they think helps that they, they throw that in um, and, and make it part of the, the helmets, a really neat system that uh, I, I don't know the name of it off the top of my head right now. It, it, there are a couple of colleges and I can't remember if the NFL teams have started using this or not. I don't think they have ASU uses this. They're one of the colleges that, that were some of the first to adopt this. They're putting sensors inside the players' helmets. And the athletic trainers sit on the side of the field and they see a, a computer screen that has all the helmets on there. And whenever the sensor in the helmet registers a hit above a certain amount of force, that uh, helmet sensor goes off and they have to pull that player from the field and evaluate them. So especially when you're in sports like football, there's so much going on at one time that there's a lot of things you just don't see. There are collisions that you're not gonna, they're gonna get lost in the middle of the field and no one's gonna pick it out. Um, so unless the player, you know, throws up his hand and runs off and says, I just got hit hard. I don't know my name right now. Right. Like you, you're just going to miss those things. The, the trouble is, is, I mean, it's a great technology. It's reactive instead of proactive. And so right. you've already got the concussion. Brain damage has already been done. And, yep. uh, you know, it's great. Pull the kid so he doesn't get any more or she doesn't get any more concussions. But man, you're already a, a dollar late. And they've, and that's why the NFL is over the last couple of years tried to change the rules to, um, to change where you can hit a player. Yeah. You know, so so you you get flagged for hitting, you know, above the shoulders now. Well, they moved the the tackles down. Well, now what? Guess what happened? A record number of knee injuries because players have to hit you somewhere. They're going down at the knees now. Yeah. So it just changed the where the injuries are occurring. You know, but I mean, given the choice, how how do you fix that? Who knows? Given the choice, I'd rather have the knees get hurt than the head get hurt. I mean, given the best choice, choice, I'd rather rather either. But, uh, you know, the earlier you start having concussions, the worse things are going to be for you. There's a take on for for kids for for training. um, Make sure the kids aren't doing like high weight uh, stuff. There's a there's a company in town that specifically focuses on, on youth training. Uh, their name is Redline Athletics. They just do more body weight exercise with kids, and that's what it should be. I, I hate hearing these high schoolers that are doing one rep max, these 14-year-old year old kids that are coming in to being a freshman. Like, you're destroying their bodies. They're going to have wear and tear issues, arthritic issues early in life that they should not have. And then for concussions, it, it, it's an ongoing process. There's millions of dollars being put toward, toward, that, toward that research every year. And, and they just make little improvements as we go. 
I think that was a good answer because a lot of um, moms that, that I know that are followers or engaged with the blog, a lot of them are just getting into sports. So that's why that question came up and it came up multiple times because they're still very new in their kids playing sports. They, they love soccer, so they sign them up, but they're still very young. And so this is great information for moms to really grasp it now before they get in a little bit too deep as their kids get older, because right now it is fun uh, and we want to keep it that way. But as they get older and more competitive and the parents get more into it, I can see how it can go down that path even when you don't intend to. So I think that's a really good position for the moms that that I know that are that are really just getting started in sports and you got to stay grounded and and reset and focus on the long term of your kids. So that was really I think good. I think number 1 for for uh, on the parent side is just understand when your kids get into sports, you have to be the advocate for your child. Um don't trust that the coaches are going to be. I, I wish I didn't have to say that, but a lot of the coaches are just they get over competitive and they're looking for the wins or developing the, the kid as, a, as an athlete. And they're not looking at their long-term health. I hear all the time that the parent, the, there are a lot of like in baseball, there are a lot of leagues that institute a pitch count for the kids. The kids, you know, aren't supposed to throw over. I can't remember what the pitch count is now for each game. And then they have to rest so many days before doing it again. And coaches will break that over and over and over. And the, the parent will have to come up finally and be the bad guy and say, you have, you have to take my kid out. They're not supposed to be doing this. They're not supposed to be pitching today. They pitched yesterday. Um, so just don't don't be afraid to be the quote bad guy. You have to be the advocate for your kid. All right. So here's my question. Uh, this is for all of you. Is there a sport or sports that you will not be letting your child play in the future? Cricket. Cricket. <laughs> Mostly because you don't understand the sport. That yeah, I I still don't understand it. Right, I've watched so many matches and I still don't get it. Right, well, it goes on for days. Well, and it's like he hits a wallaby what? to the fluffus, and you're like, I don't know what just happened, but a wallaby was hit. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. So okay, cricket. That's my answer. Football. Football. I, I get asked this all the time because like I, I was on a medical staff of a, of an NFL team. Like I, I don't think I could I could let my kid play football. Seeing the injuries that I've seen, it, it's just not worth it. Yeah, I'm with you, Dr. Palmer. I um I have had a lot of conversation around this with my husband, and we are on the same page that we would not let our son or daughter uh play football, tackle football. <clears throat> yeah. I, I'm with all of all of you. Uh football and cricket. Yeah, no football. I mean, you you guys. I mean, I've seen concussions. I've seen them in kids, and I've seen them in adults, and it 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 messes people up. And uh, the odds of getting concussions in football, it just it's it scares me. I I don't want it to happen to my kids. I I, I want to give a, a neat analogy that I heard this morning. Well, it, it was as a research study, but I don't know um, where the numbers come from. So kind of disregard the numbers, but the idea is is extremely sound. <laughs> Um, the, the research said there are 10 million concussions in youth sports every year. Wow. Only 1 million of those are diagnosed. Wow. Okay. Let that sink in for a second. Like I said, the numbers, I don't know where they came from. So I'm not going to say those are accurate, but there are so many concussions that are missed mm -hmm. because we don't have proper monitoring because you have the quiet kid that just wants to stay in the game. and isn't going to say anything unless he can't stand up because you have, Coaches are saying, "Oh, you're all right. Get back in there," because right. because they're not looking out for the kid. Like there, there's several scenarios where these are just going undiagnosed, and it, it leaves them up for second, um, you know, second impact syndrome, where they could die. The second hit that is not big at all. So there are too many scary things out there. I agree. Um, I actually have a few other questions related to concussions. The next one is, what are your thoughts on a trampoline? Um, trampolines. I'm usually thinking about how high I, I can jump <laughs> on a trampoline. Yes. I don't know about you guys. But. Uh, I mean, if you're an orthopedic physician, trampolines are money makers. You see a trampoline, you're like, there you go. That's, that's money in my pocket right there. I mean, that's how kids break things. That's how adults break things all the time uh things get torn and ripped and all sorts of destroyed uh 
with that being said, we're we're so excited to get our kids a trampoline one day. <laughs> with a big net around. Uh, it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've ever seen a trampoline injury. I think I have. I'm trying to think of the story. For for sure, they're out there, especially here in Arizona, where the the summer sun eats away at it um, <laughs> for five months of the year, and then an adult thinks they can go out and jump on it, you know, full full speed right away, and it it just breaks through. Yeah. That's an issue. I don't think I've ever seen seen a concussion from it. Yeah, I will say that I don't know um, that I've seen any head injuries from that, um, which surprises yeah. me. But anecdotally, so a hundred percent foolproof science. Every family that I've known who's had a trampoline has had one of their kids has broken something from the trampoline. My odds are not looking very good. We just got one for Christmas. <laughs> how many how many people are in your family there? Ashley? We have four. 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 So you I mean you got a twenty five percent chance of not being the one. So Yeah, I'm gonna put my money on my husband because he's like really <laughs> he's really determined to to nail his flip again like he did when he was twelve. So nice. I'm gonna put my money on him. So stand by for that the results of that poll for sure. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> When, when that happens, Ben's number is 480. No, no, don't publish my number. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one one other question in the concussion category. Yeah. And I think this one is good. And, and I'm sure you guys as dads can also relate to this. But what signs can you watch for in a baby or a toddler with a concussion, especially those young walkers that, you know, decide to face plant all the time and don't have the ability or thought of putting their hands up to catch themselves. And I know all of us have seen kids fall and, and literally fall right on their head. And it terrifies us because we can't ask them if they feel okay. They're they're They don't have the words yet to tell us how they're feeling. Yeah. Uh, you know, kids, kids in, in one sense, it seems like it's a design flaw. Uh, they have large noggins compared to the rest of their body. Uh, that head just weighs so much and the rest of them just doesn't weigh anything. And so anytime they're going to fall, the head just pulls forward and they just tend to land on it no matter how they fall. They're like the opposite of a cat. You know, cats always land on their feet. Toddlers always land on their head because their head just sinks them down into the ground. Um, uh, again, all of my kids have taken dives off of very high things as children and have landed on their heads multiple times. And they're all reasonably smart still, sort of. Um, you know, uh, uh, the, but really kids are kids are also designed to be bounceable. Uh, they're designed to really take a hit and just keep going. Uh, they don't have a lot of hard bones inside of them, which is fantastic. Um and if you ever see like an x-ray of a child, you're like, huh, their, their bodies just don't look the same on the inside. And it's because there's a lot of spongy parts to them, so they really can bounce. Um, so with that being said, uh, you still want to take any head injuries serious. Uh, there's big things uh, for me, like if I'm working urgent care or ER, things that I'm going to be looking at and saying, uh, is this, is this going to be bad? Uh, if the child is under two years old. So uh, one of your littler guys who doesn't talk a whole lot, I'm going to, I'm going to say, Hey, uh, mom or dad, whoever's bringing the child in, uh, is she acting different than normal? Normally she's very playful and happy and skipping and jumping. And now she's just, just really calm and just doesn't do anything. Uh, that, that's something that's going to be okay. Might be a little bit more concerned here. Um, you know, did they fall and did they lose consciousness? Uh, that's going to be something that's concerning to me, uh, no matter the age. Uh, is there any vomiting afterwards? Uh, I think the statistics are like something like 10% of kids after they get hit in the head are going to vomit one time, but multiple episodes of vomiting are going to be a little bit more concerning to me. Um, swelling is another big thing. If it's swelling across the forehead, kind of the front part of the head, almost, almost never. So not never, but almost never. Is that going to be a, con a serious concussion or a serious brain injury in our toddlers? Uh, the things that you worry about are kind of swelling, um, kind of what, what we'd call the temple um, area. Um, uh, or that you kind of get hit in the head and now there's bruising behind the ear, which is called battle sign or raccoon eyes. 
Um, just those are things that would worry me. What else? Uh, if if the kid's older um, and they're saying, hey, I've got a terrible, awful headache and it just will not go away. That's something that worries me. Um, and then also the mechanism of injury. So if it's a car accident, it, high speed, anything that's car accident, I'm always going to evaluate these kids. Um, you know, I think the official recommendation is more than three stairs. So if they fell down four stairs, uh, that's when I'm going to be a little bit more. Uh, let's watch these guys a little bit closer. Uh, but if they only fell down two stairs, yeah, you're probably okay. Um, do you see a lot of concussions? Uh, yes, but not in as many children as you would think. Um, it tends to be more in adults, young adults and middle-aged adults. A lot of times because of car accidents, a lot of times because of, uh, alcohol was involved and, uh, and or stupidity involved with that. Um, and uh, it, it, it can be pretty rough. Uh, sometimes in sports, for me, um, again, I'm not officially a sports med doc. I see a lot of sports injuries and and uh, have seen sports concussions. Uh, they just tend to not come to me first necessarily. So, Some big things like old wives' tales that you kind of hear. Uh, don't let somebody who's had a concussion fall asleep. Like, wake them up all the time. Like, that's the worst thing you can do. Let these kids sleep. Let them sleep, let them sleep, let them sleep. Um, that's what their brain needs. It needs sleep to recover. So stop waking the kids up after they hit their head. And limit screen time. Oh, they yeah. shouldn't be watching TV. They shouldn't be looking at phones, Kindles, any of that, because that's processing that their brain's having to do that, that is, is detrimental to yeah. them. Yeah, like exactly. And so, you know, I'll be like, hey, you got to limit screen time to these, these parents and the kids. And they'll come back and they'll be like, dude, I was playing a, a Xbox game or I was playing Fortnite where you've got all this flashing and you've got to do all this concentrating. That's so bad for them. After a concussion, let them rest, 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 rest. What else? But I mean, if you're ever concerned, uh, it's not a terrible thing to take them in to your pediatrician, your family medicine doctor, uh, to the ER and say, hey, can you just take a look? Again, anytime that it's a high impact injury. Or they're acting outside of their normal character, vomiting, seizures, or loss of consciousness. Psh, get them, get them in. Anything scary. else? Scary. Yeah, it's scary. But that's great, especially with the younger ones that you're like, you can't tell me what's wrong. Right. Like I'm, you know, and especially in moms, we always go to the worst. So your head, you know, your kid nose dives off the couch, and you're like, that's it. He's got a concussion. Like he has one. And that's where our minds go. And so we're terrified. But I did love that you mentioned the sleep one. Cause I've heard that several times. Cause when my kids were toddlers, I'd be like, she, you know, she hit her head and so many people would tell me, well, don't let her sleep. You got to watch her. You got to really monitor her. Yeah. So I, I've been told that multiple times um, just to watch them. And, and thankfully my kids have never had one, but they've definitely been hit in the head a few times. Right. And, and, and I, I want to make a quick, uh, I want to distinguish kind of the time frame after they get hit that like, if you're still like evaluating to make sure that they, they don't have a serious concussion, that's not the time when you want them to sleep. Like you want to be able to, to, to see what the symptoms are. Like if they're, if they are lethargic, if you know, whatever, so you can go get diagnosed to make sure there's not you know, an intracranial bleed or something else going on. Um, but later on, if it's diagnosed, we know what's happening. We know there's not an intracranial bleed. Um, it was just a concussion. Yes. Let, let, let the kid sleep, let the kid recover. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, if, if it's immediately after and now they're not responding to things that you say or they're looking confused when you're like, hey, uh, you know, you give them a normal two-step command. You're like, go over there and pick up the dog poop. And they look at you like, I cannot process this many steps at once. Uh, that's that's when you're kind of getting a little more concerned. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, my kids, like you said, take nose dives off the couch. I had one of my kids, um, we call him a crash test dummy because he just was always hitting things. He would have lumps on top of lumps on his forehead, just have multiple stacked lumps because he would just always hit his head. Um, he, he still walks a little funny, but uh, he's good. <laughs> he's fine. It always, I tell you, they always want to do some sort of Superman move oh, yeah. right before nap time. Always. <laughs> always. Uh, it's usually 10 minutes before bedtime. It's always that random energy burst they get right before bed that no one understands. Yeah. One other question for you. So this is a great one as it's starting to heat up here in the Valley. Um, and what are signs to watch for 
as far as dehydration is concerned in kids? So uh, I just gave a lecture to 40 plus elderly folks uh, who may or may not know the definition of octogenarian. And um, we, I was talking to them about dehydration, actually. Uh, very similar physiology in both of these groups. Uh, not a whole lot of reserve in kids. So kids get dehydrated fast, especially if they're outside and not drinking. Um, so, so the things, you know, if your kid is starting to resemble a raisin, step one, probably a little dehydrated. Um, the things that I'm going to look for, we had a really scary um, incident with one of our children uh, when he was really little. He was throwing up, had diarrhea, and he would not drink. Uh, and uh, we ended up having to take him to the urgent or emergency room so he could get IV fluids. Um, uh, so it's a lot of things like a lot like concussion, where if they're acting slow to think, they're a little more confused. Um, they're not responding like they normally would. Uh, that's kind of one of those things that you worry about. Uh, you have reason to believe that they're going to be dehydrated. So they're vomiting. They have diarrhea. They're losing water some way. Uh, and you're not able to keep more water coming in, more fluid coming in. One one kind of fun way to do it is to uh, take the back of their hand um, and you just kind of pinch the skin of like opposite where the palm would be. And you kind of pull it up and form a little tent and then just let go. If it snaps back to normal, they're not dehydrated, probably. Um, but if it stays tented up, uh, that's not good, and there's very good chance that there's some dehydration. Um, and then a couple other big ways you look in their mouths and at their lips. If their lips are super dry and their mouths kind of have that sticky look inside of them, uh, that could be bad. Um, the other one is just if they're if their pee is looking really really dark, so an amber color, a brown color, uh, or they're not making pee. And you're like, wow, it's been two days since my child last peed. Uh, that's really bad. So uh, those are probably the big ones. So not peeing as much, darker pee, dry lips, dry mouth, um, or tinting of the skin. Those are all things that I'm going to be looking at. How much water should children drink? I know the rule of thumb for adults is half your body weight, but what's the rule of thumb for kids? So for kids... Um, Again, this is not kids who are being breastfed or bottle fed still. These are This is for definitely kids that are older than one, older than really 18 months probably. Um, usually I go with that same sort of rule. Um, it's going to be about half your body weight in ounces um, and then add about um, eight ounces for uh, like heavy activity um, and then um, another eight, four to eight ounces, again, for younger kids. Um for dry climate in a day. So that's in a day. Um, you know, if you're, if you're really active, you're really outside sweating a lot. Um, it's going to be, I don't, I don't know what the exact calculation is at that point. Usually it's going to be older kids. And so it's half your body weight and then 16 ounces for every hour of, uh, strenuous activity. That's good to know. And, and the best thing to get kids rehydrated is uh, to have them drink, right? Like IV fluid is fine. You can take them to the ER. Uh, but if they can tolerate drinking stuff, that's the best way to get them rehydrated. Um, Pedialyte works great for all childrens of all sizes and shapes. Um, Gatorade can be good. It just doesn't have enough salt in it usually, so you have to add more salt to it. Um, and if you're just like, eh, I don't want to buy Gatorade and Pedialyte because those are made by corporate shills and I don't know, whatever you say. Um, the WHO, the World Health Organization, has a free um, uh, rehydrating solution online, uh, a recipe. And it's like sugar and salt and water. So it's super easy to make. That's awesome. Yeah. Will you send me that link? No. Uh, yes, actually, I'll try to. I'll try to. That'd be really good. And uh, yeah, we'll. Thank you. I think you nailed Thanks, it. man. Nice work. I think so too. Uh, so this is weird. The, I know I just stopped. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the who site for this, uh, for the rehydration has a timer on it. So it tells you how long you've been on the site. 
It's kind of freaking me out. So, uh, sorry. So, so move quickly because yeah, apparently somebody's it. watching. Um, it, it's a race. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeez. So what if what if we uh, go around and give like our top advice to parents? If you have one piece of advice sure. to give to parents. Does this have to be limited to a subject? No, no. You can you can give whatever advice you want. Uh, you know, never spit into the wind. Don't pee in the tub. That's fine. All I think everything is fair game at this point. <laughs> My kids totally pee in the tub. I mean, I, I think it's a reasonable option. <laughs> I just option. tell them not to drink it. Yes. Yeah. Never eat yellow <laughs> snow, right? I mean, these are things that kids don't get taught these days. No. So I feel like you're putting way too much thought into this. You are. I'll, I'll go first. Oh, I have good. One. Describe your children's body parts as what they are. Don't call them. Don't, <laughs> don't give them a nickname. Call it a penis and call it a vagina. Ashley, I love that. I love that. <laughs> I, I tell all of my uh, patients when they come in, I give them that exact advice. This is so That's crucial. That's what I'm going to go with. I love it. That's what I'm going to go with. I love it. And my kids say the words like it's normal. Like it's just part of a conversation. And that's really important to me because I want them to tell me that if their penis hurts or their vagina hurts, I want to really know what it is. Not your hoo-ha, not your flower, whatever else people put these nicknames on. I really want to know what the issue is and if it's on a private part. I love it, Ashley. That is fantastic. That's my advice. It's weird. Is that the same advice Matt was going to give? <laughs> Sorry, uh, Matt. You got to think of something else. <laughs> what, what do you got, Ben? Anything? Man. Um, uh, okay. I, I'm going to do two because why not? Uh, first of all, sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen. Man, if you can prevent skin cancer by putting a little sunscreen on, for the love of Pete, I tell you, I love cutting sunscreen off of ad- or skin cancer off of adults. It's so much fun for me. But if you just put a little sunscreen on, you don't have to worry about skin cancer as much. Um, so sunscreen, especially if they're going outside at all. And then the other big thing is teach your kids to wash their hands uh, and model this for them. Kids get sick because they don't wash their hands. Uh, also because they stick random stuff in their mouth. But uh, washing your hands, best way to prevent getting sick. If you find that your family's always sick, because somebody's not washing their hands. Mm. Or someone's in daycare. Or someone's in daycare <laughs> and they're still not washing their hands and they're licking the other children. Sean. <laughs> yeah. My son licked the entire pole in the line at Disneyland. <laughs> so I don't know if oh, hand washing wow. would have saved him, but he didn't. Ironically, he did not get sick that trip. <laughs> but I was pretty proud of him. That, that's amazing. That, that kid's yeah. going places. Uh, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> um i i I'll, I'll go along with the with the illness uh side parents get ready if your kid is in daycare or school the first year the first winter that they are there over a three-month winter the first year my my son was in daycare I lost 18 pounds because I was sick so much because he brought everything home to me. And because Sean doesn't wash his hands Um, after he goes to the bathroom. That too. Um, So, so I, I, my mom stayed home with me. I wasn't in daycares and stuff growing up. So I didn't get a lot of those childhood illnesses. So I'm sure my, my uh, experience was worse than some people's would be. So I never caught any of these things that my son was catching. Um, but, uh, Please uh, just get ready yeah. for it. Get, carry hand sanitizer in your car. Uh, as soon as the kid is out, is out of the door, the, the daycare, um, lace their hands with the alcohol, lace your hands with it. Uh, wash hands again when you get home because there are some nasty things out there. <laughs> hand, foot, mouth as an adult is it's, it's close to a death oh, sentence. I don't know worst. if there's anything worse you can oh. get. Except for fifth disease. I have a friend that just had that, and he said that's no fun either. <laughs> All right, let's finish up with the goose number one, original goose. Your parting advice, words of wisdom. Uh, my words are, let your kids be kids. 
That I is like surprisingly it. wise. It is. I like it too. Let your kids be kids. You know, I, I, I see that all the time. Parents are like, um, you know, stop jumping, stop running, stop skipping, stop hopping. I'm like, let them be kids. Matt, you are a wise guy. Get, get them that trampoline and let oh, them God. jump. Yes. Let them be Let them free. eat cake. Let them break their <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having uh, me. Dude. For guest host, for... even. She guest goosted <laughs> and guest hosted. And that was uh, phenomenal. Yeah. Did it with style. style thanks yeah. for answering our great questions, too. And uh, it was fun to have have just an open conversation with you guys about it. And then once again, the, the website for, for the blog is? DesertMomsBlog.com. And if they're on Instagram or Twitter, Facebook, any of that stuff, how can they follow you guys? Yep, we're on Facebook at Desert Moms Blog and on Instagram at Desert underscore Moms. And I definitely follow them on Instagram and fantastic. Definitely read the articles. Uh, you guys have usually three or four articles a week, I think. Is that right, Ashley? Yep, we typically have three to four, and we post some pretty funny quotes on there that are relatable to any parent, for sure. I've enjoyed some of those. (laughs) I have been reading those. (laughs) All right. Thanks again for for joining us. Thanks, guys. It was so much fun. Thank you for listening to the Doc Doc Goose podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a review to help others discover us. Visit our website at www.ddgpodcast.com to read the show notes, blogs, view videos, and interact with the cast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the DDG podcast. If you have an Apple device, you can easily access the podcast by saying, Hey Siri, play the Doc Doc Goose podcast. Mm -hmm.